Hello and welcome to Michael and Ivanka's Grand Podcast. It's a weekly podcast and this is episode 52. And it's a pod... What's it about, though? But I don't know. What was the elevator pitch? I don't know. What's you were making one pitch? up when we were walking up the hill. No, it's... Uh, it's uh, no, it's, it's about meaning. Like, I think this is what's coming clear to me. It's a search for meaning every week, starting pedagogically from... <laughs> grand subjects and hopefully nailing down i like the pedagogy thing you like it's it it's a stupid it's an awkward it's an awkward word to say nobody has ever says it no one says it in who real isn't life. a pedagogy person but it's like we just enumerate things this is sounding this sounds awful anyway i'm michael forrest i'm the one you don't like <laughs> uh, michael is the needy one. i'm very needy and what's your name my name's ivanka magic um and what are we talking about this week meaning meaning Again. More meaning. Meaning well, again. It's post-meaning, and I'm going to go back and rename Meaning Episode 1, Meaning Pre-Conference, and this one's going to be Meaning Post-Conference. So we thought about what meaning means last week, and this week we're probably just going to talk about what we saw at Meaning and if we had any ideas or inspiration or, you know, what came across. Do you see anyone? Who, who, who were the sort of, like, highlights for you? I enjoyed Andrew Sims. Andrew Sims. The Stop the Apocalypse dude. <laughs> Is that you going through Which the He's the one that the the. the uh, was he? Who's the positive? He was like he was actually very, you can do a lot. He was very. There's a lot we can do, and we humans we can we can change. We can do things very quickly when we need to. And I think his point was that we need to. Yeah. And if we could all get around when that Icelandic volcano exploded, then we can we can deal with not flying as much for climate change. Um, okay, well, that's, that, that was a good one. I mean, it's, it's a good argument. He also put- liked his explosive nature of delivering. It was also it's also a good argument for putting it off till the last minute. <laughs> we'll sort it out at the last minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although it is the last minute. That's the point. I um, think <laughs> no one seems to be getting. <laughs> it is the last minute. It's, it's yes. I quite liked the Fairphone talk. Oh yes, that was very good. I've been putting a lot of energy I'm, the thing I'm enjoying at the moment is making little music hardware gadgets systems and I was thinking well what if I could do something ethical around that because I think the music musicians would like that as well like repairable hardware I think would be a really nice niche to because, go back to because if there's one thing I kind of realised after last week's recording it's like meaning is so fragmented and so different for everyone I, I should just kind of just do what I'm most interested in and make it ethical and try and do a kind of positive job of it. I, but also at the same time, I will. We, we sat down with that guy, he said, and I'd sort of said one, an idea and he said, well, yeah, if you did that, that would solve all of the problems in the world. And I was like, well, yeah, that's, that's the idea, isn't it? <laughs> that's the plan. So, so let's get on with solving all of the problems in the world, shall we? Yes. But first, I mean, it's funny, how was your week? Because we've sort of seen each other. How are you feeling post-conf? I don't know. I haven't really had time to digest properly, I think. I was kind of looking forward to recording today so that I can digest. 
So I might be more rambly and ummy and ari than usual. You have been very much uh, not quite present and dealing no. with a lot of different things I've noticed this morning. <laughs> <laughs> like trying to get to a thing. It has been a good week. I'm still enjoying my project. I had to do quite a lot of analysis this week of my qualitative data. And uh, but there's a lot of data in my project, so I'm not I'm not done yet. I'm doing some more interviews next week, and that's it really. That's, that's it. my week. I was very I was building up to blocking everything out so that I could go to meaning for the day and actually be present yeah. and listen yeah. and be able to put my phone in airplane mode and just switch it on occasionally. Um, so I did enjoy that. I, I did have to, on the way home, buy some fabric pens so I could make my child a spotty T-shirt to wear to nursery because it's children in need. And we spent a lot of time drawing spots on this T-shirt for her this morning to go... I will not wear my spotty T-shirt. So, well, she, she, so she was involved in drawing these spots. She was involved. That's what, you know. She I, was happy with the result. She was happy with the result. So <laughs> what happened? This morning, she wanted to wear a particular cardigan. And I told her that that cardigan was dirty and that she needed to wear spots because it was children need and everyone was going to be wearing spots. And so she lifted the label in the cardigan and said, Mummy, shall I tell you what it says here? It says... I will not wear my spotty T-shirt. So she didn't wear it. Do you think it looked... she wore the dirty cardigan. But, but what could have happened between last night and this morning? Just a dream. A portent of doom. She just wasn't into it. Or are children just not very consistent? Uh, I don't think it's that she wasn't. She wasn't particularly. She never said in her defence. And no, at no point did she say she was actually going to wear the spotty right, t-shirt. So she was <laughs> just thought it was an activity. She was just like, this she... is what we're doing. We're creating a spotty t-shirt for tomorrow. At no point was there any commitment or promise that she would be wearing okay. it. <laughs> Telling you this story reminds me of something that, after listening to last week's episode, at one point you asked a question that sort of implied that having a child should add meaning to my life. Uh, well, yeah, or we didn't even cover way, that. We, we didn't, didn't even cover, cover that. But actually, I don't think it's fair to expect a child to add meaning to your life. There's uh, that Persian poet, Rumi. Your children are um, arrows that you set forth into the world. You're not, you, know, you, don't, you don't have ownership of them. You don't. So in, in a way, I don't think having a child, it may give you meaning in a moment to be helping somebody else, but I don't think it's up to her to in any way add meaning to my life. Well, I was listening to Adam Buxton talking to Louis Theroux this morning, and one way he put it was that, you know, you get, sort of every day you just kind of get caught up in day-to-day stuff, admin stuff. But then, you know, if at some point the little daughter just says something funny, that, that's the thing you remember about that day and it all kind of like makes sense. And So I think on that level, I mean, you're not asking yeah, them no. to give you the meaning, but the fact that they're there makes each day kind of not just a complete blur of blandness, maybe. I think it's possibly more purpose than meaning because it's like, you know, when you're making these decisions about, you know, earning money and buying things and saving the world and caring about the world, the literal responsibility for another human. But then we can have all these conversations as well about for a long time, I was not one of Britain's hardworking families. I was a family of one. And I sometimes it's quite irksome that somehow, you know, the People with children or families yeah, in some, yeah, some way more special. Oh, I've got a push chair. Get out of the way. <laughs> I'll get a special bit on the bus. We'll discuss this one. We? You have to help mothers with push chairs. I'm not. I'm not. They, they, they can no. 
lift their own push chairs. No, they can't. They need to help them. <laughs> but they can, of course they can, but there's a I, difference. I, I'm on my, I ride my bike around, so it rarely comes to that. <laughs> Good. Well, I did sit on the guilt seat on the train yesterday, so without realising... The leg room Priority seat. seat. <laughs> <laughs> um, as, long, as long as you're willing to give it up to somebody who... No, I'm not. <laughs> Are you going to ask me about my week then? No. Okay. So, Michael, my needy friend, <laughs> how was your week? How dare you? <laughs> so, I'm down in Brighton for this conference. I stayed in a hotel last night. We are recording this episode with an engineer in a room <laughs> in an actual studio. I'm not the one having to, well, I'll still edit it and everything, but you know, so this is it's very exciting. Next level of uh, production values, hopefully. Um, no, nobody's going to care. Uh, no one's going to notice because it's already <laughs> so flawless. Um, so, yeah, I've been down here walking around Brighton going, all oh, right, every single person here has a keep cup. So really you're pretty mainstream with all your yeah. keep cup stuff. Yeah, yeah, I'm not Most special. of the things you talk about, it's just you conforming to Brighton. I'd like to think myself as an early adopter within this pool. <laughs> OK. And I'd like to think of myself living in a, in a city that reflects my values, okay. which is one of the reasons it makes it a very difficult city to leave for me. Hmm. However, even in this city of keep cups, <laughs> there is there is still we've talked about the exclusion. Oh no! Well, I've definitely seen there's a very very present homelessness and you know rough sleeping contingent. I wondered if there was, and then I sort of see people being nice to people sitting down there as well, and kind of going maybe it's quite a nice place to be homeless by many standards. I don't know. Do people come here, or is it people from here? No, I did ask some, one of my research projects was in social care. So I did ask one of the people that runs a centre and they, they, they was like, yeah, there is a sort of a, a, a season, but it's not explicit. It might be access. As part of my recent welcome research, I interviewed a professor whose whole reason for being is tackling homelessness. Mm. It is so vastly complex yeah. That's one of, you know, it's very hard to... But Brighton isn't a very good place. We haven't got facilities. Right. We haven't got... We've got, in our city, we've got rough sleepers who have jobs. Right. There's literally going to a gym to shower in the morning, having slept on the street to go, we've got couch surfers. It's really expensive. It's quite expensive it here, is, isn't it? It is. It is. Yeah. Really exp rent is really expensive. Deposits are really expensive. So, for example, if you've had a lot... And there is this trend of agents and people keeping people's deposits. So if you've... Let's say your rent is 450 a month and the deposit you had to collect was... 800 or 750 because they want, you know, a month and a half or 750 is not much. I can't do maths today. Say your landlord keeps that or keeps part of it. You've not just got to save back up yeah. the deposit. You've also got to save up the first month's rent on a minimum wage job or a zero hours contract. You're, you, you, you've got no home. This housing thing. <laughs> the housing thing is not cool. No. <laughs> not at all.
I wanted to just, just something, this is actually going back a couple of episodes, but the people episode. We kind of had a bit of a euphoric sort of like meaning if we could just all get on the same team and have empathy for each other. And if people could just see each other and understand each other, then we'd all get along. I heard this put a different way. And it's Roger Daltrey again, I think. But like you also in a pre-social media world, if you said something twatty to someone's face... You, there, you run the risk of getting punched in the face. Like, you run the risk of getting hurt. Violence is another aspect of this sort of social control. We're not all just angels walking around and if we just understood each other. Like, it, the online is very safe and you, there, are, there are no consequences in the same way to, to behaving in objectionable, poisonous ways. So, yeah, there has to be a pull, but also, like, again, it's, it's that weird thing of progress... In a way, it's nice that we all f are safer in a lot of our lives to express ourselves than we've ever been before. And that helps to kind of free certain people that have never had a voice before. But, the, you know, the dark side of that is that, you know, you, you do get you know, alt-right growing and you do get all these horrible th phenomena coming out of it. And then that, that can manifest online in, like, you can, like, bans and the threat of bans. There's all this kind of thing, but that's... But it's not, it's not, not the same. So, it's not the same. Being Fear of actual physical pain. That's one of the reasons we're careful when we walk around is, you know... Yeah, and fe it, fear and of physical injury is a, is a good fear. Yeah, but it's also it's one fear. that people have even more overblown in the real world than ever before as well. So I think people kind of see this kind of real world as this terrifying place full of terrorists that will attack you from every direction. Whereas like online, they're just kind of like running around doing whatever, you know. Being mentalist. Well, I, I mean, I don't know if you saw the stats. There's, there's something like, I don't know, I'm going to say 100 selfie deaths a year. Oh, my God. <laughs> people being somewhere... And taking a selfie and falling off a cliff. A hundred. Something, it's, it's some number that is more than one or two. Okay. It's significant. It's not thousands. Don't forget which world you're in. <laughs> it's, not, it's not sorting out sort of the world overpopulation, but it is a new reason, new way of dying that humans have found. And uh, you have to laugh, but I think that is a symptom of this idea that you can sort of con control Z undo things. It's like, it's like, you know, I can be an idiot here because surely they would have put a fence up here if it was actually dangerous. And it's like a little bit of not thinking for yourself, um, both in terms of what's going to happen to you and playing out the consequences. But, it's just, you know, it's like, you know, I don't really need to get punched in the face to know that <laughs> walking up to somebody in the street and calling them a... Yeah, you know, well, you just need bastard. to see their eyebrows twitch and you're like, oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> uh, but that's, that, that's the one of the reasons that I kind of have to live in London or somewhere like that because when I was, you know, 20, 21, kind of coming down to London as a grown-up for the first time and just sort of being on the central line and there's no barrier. The train just comes. Just don't fall, don't get in the way of, you know, it's like it's up to you to be a grown-up and not get in the way of the very dangerous thing. It's not fenced off. It's not like, yeah. come on, people. We're, we're not that stupid. We are, we, we have quite... We are. I'm 
going to start with two things. One is that meaning is a business conference. Yeah, it's just not really quite branded as that, is it? No. It sort of feels like a bit fluffier than that, but it's, it is a business conference and it is all business it's it talking about. It is all about. about business, but it's, talk, it's talking about business in a slightly different way. The other thing that I wrote down quite early in the day, normally meaning is a... So the last two I've been to, there haven't been any talks about meaning. They haven't been that meta. Yeah, well, I mean, it's but, we tried that. <laughs> but the other thing is that meaning, it's not a permanent thing. There is the concept of what gives you meaning today. For me, that, that question kind of keyed straight. It's sort of almost like the happiness app kind of thinking. It's like, well, don't try and think about how happy you are in general. Just like right now. And maybe I think meaning is a thing like that. I hadn't really thought of it like that. Is it fair to say that maybe it's a business conference where money isn't the only metric? Yeah. But that doesn't mean that they're saying you shouldn't make money. That no. doesn't mean that they, they don't think you're going to make a profit. It's just that you can do that. Well, I don't know. Is it? Do you think it's like more difficult? I think... What do you mean? More difficult to so do business? To think about both money and well, ecological so I, you know, I think, impact. I think there's an interesting thing, like from that we also like really, really engaged people went along to an event this morning mm. to follow up. And uh, one of the things that, that one of the women we were talking to, was she was talking about 21st century business, which is definitely a thing that's come from Kate Raworth and the Donut Economics country, you know, land. Um, but, but this idea that... To be a 21st century business, you cannot simply chase the dollar. Mm. You've got to do more than that. And maybe it is harder. So I went to this talk that you didn't go to, which was the first time I've gone off-piste and uh, looked at some of the other streams. But I saw this talk on conscious capitalism, which is a thing and there is a book and it isn't. But it, the, the, the guys that started it are the person that started Whole Foods, Patagonia, um, companies like that, that, that have some sort of purpose above and beyond making money. But they are definitely profitable businesses, yeah. no doubt. And one of the things he talked about was this idea that if you haven't got a solution that's good for the company and the world, you need to go back and think a bit harder because you you know you you've not you've not done enough thinking yet. You need to be more creative. It is harder. It is harder, but but the but the rewards are greater. You think so? Well, I I think so. I mean, the rewards are greater for the you know if you're a Whole Foods is pretty expensive. It's very expensive. Yes. One of the things that came up yesterday in Chakraborty, one of the things I wrote down when he was talking is my meaning is superior to yours. And he talked about that as being one of the things that has caused <laughs> the country to collapse in terms of the Brexit vote. It was like this idea that because my valuing of something is somehow more valuable than your valuing of something, which is the same things we were talking about the other day yeah, about handbags. So one, one of the things he was talking about with a lot of the projects, there are a lot of grassroots hopeful projects going on in the country at the moment. One of the places that they occur is where the, it is a thickly neighbourhooded area. So people actually caring about the people who live next door to them. So he gave the example of the dinner ladies in Oldham feeding the kids locally sourced organic foods and forcing the food supply chain to change. Preston Council, they only buy local, basically, was the implication. And so they're changing their local economy. 
And this was this was a guy that's been around lots of places in the country. Has been to sort of like the heart of Wales and been to all these different places. Talked to people face to face. He was one of two people that brought up this uh, thing of make hope possible rather than despair convincing. His anecdotes about Amazon and um, the the nihilism of the the Leave voters. Yeah. The fact that they that feels surplus to requirements. This sort of sense that you are just not needed, you're not important, you're not represented. They're kind of screwed either way, so they don't really care what happens. So the sort of leave vote being just, okay, well, screw you, like, you can't ignore us, is fair. But yeah, that, that idea of just total nihilism, I found pretty heartbreaking. And Amazon, yeah, that anecdote of people like peeing in bottles because they're scared to leave the conveyor belt or whatever in the Amazon place. And before that talk, I was like, Amazon, what, whatever. And now I'm like, maybe I am anti-Amazon now, which is... Yeah. More broadly, what he was talking about, and I think that's the overall theme and why Meaning is a business conference, because it presents you with models and ideas of creating governance and decision making that help you think about more than what the shareholders want. That is the point of pretty much every talk. Yeah. It's not about the shareholders. It's not about the people profiting. People do and can profit because the guy that did the conscious capitalism talk was like, I am a capitalist. <laughs> and I was like, well, you're in the wrong place. No, um, <laughs> but he's like, you're in the wrong town, sunshine. But Chakraborty gave quotable figures like the fact that, you know, the government has subsidised Amazon to the tune of 16 million to sort of woo them to yeah. op- to starting these packing plants in Stroud and, and Fife. And they've actually had to pay them to encourage them. And then they come over here, <laughs> give people shit jobs, and then don't pay their taxes. So we gave them some money to bring their business over here. And then they thanked us by giving people unsustainable jobs that kind of create in work poverty that means the welfare state needs to step in to make make up the difference and we give them money to seduce them to come and open their, these these places here and then we're what we're, what you are know, we getting, what out, are we getting out of it nothing so he he was talking and I think very rightly so about creating things like yeah sure please do come over and start your business here but as a minimum Everyone needs a proper contract with paid holidays, with defined breaks, with pension schemes, with all the things that they need to live their lives. One of the inspiring, I think, stories I heard at the cooperatives meetup that I went to the evening before was finding out about Sumer Foods, who pay everybody, their cooperative now that has 200 people working for them, 
and everybody earns the same money, except truck drivers, I think, who you have to be, and they rotate jobs, but truck drivers are special because you have to A, know how to drive a truck, and B, your lifestyle has to support like you driving that, a truck. I like the idea that the person that knows how to do something gets paid more rather than the person that <laughs> thought of it <laughs> or just started it. Or just started it. it. But yeah, but well, I'm talking about how sort of this, this town was sort of, had become very affluent because everyone was getting paid well. Yeah, the and word was she-she. She-she. <laughs> the town had be, tanning, I think it's Yorkshire, it's become sort of she-she because everyone's actually earning 40, if something, and the number is something like 40, 45 grand a year if you work there and everyone's getting the same money. So actually you've got quite a lot of families that are doing very well thank you very much out of one company and imagine if you had a company you didn't have to make special private members clubs and that that felt nice to sort of keep yourself away from all the poor imagine if everywhere could just be nice (laughs) exactly (laughs) i think that's the thing it's It's the argument for doing this i think rather than maybe making it about having to think about other things Maybe thinking about the cost in different terms. Yes, you can have hmm. an extra 10%, but who is paying for that extra 10%? Is it the workers? Is it the planet? Is it and the, 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 the conscious capitalism guy, Timothy Henry? He put up these numbers and it was something phenomenal. Workers' salaries have gone up by 10% in the last 10 years. CEOs' salaries have gone up by 937%. It's just ridiculous. It's like, okay, but who's paying for your increase? Because the shareholders don't want to pay for your increase. But So it's the workers and the planet and sustainability and all those kind of things that are paying for those numbers. Do you think that's just people can do that because they don't have to... Is this just openly happening like do you think people because i th- they is this like always behind closed doors it's like well we'll uh, we no one knows how much they're getting paid so we'll just give ourselves this or is it it's like well, people I think, just I think expect they... that they should be getting paid this much i don't i don't know how it's grown i think it's a bit who gave the example of bringing the unions into a conversation about changing the company structure somebody was talking about you know talk about the unions as a stakeholder mm changes you know they are yeah, yeah. an equal stakeholder in well, this. They're, they're, they're workers they're <laughs> that's the point of the unions yeah. and, and so and then he quoted somebody that's saying that in the past four decades capitalism was slowly committing suicide because i mean he starts off the thing with capitalism has given us all these things it's given us airplanes and mobile phones and la, 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 la. life's changed everyone can fly everywhere blah blah but it's also given us all these it's given us a bunch of problems that we need to but i've never thought about myself as a you know, particularly capitalist or not capitalist. That's not really ever been language that I've particularly engaged with. But he did talk about the profit maximization fallacy. <laughs> talked about the profit maximization fallacy. <laughs> <laughs> had that like Amazon are using cheap workers and not robots it's not automation that's taking well, see, over that graph that I found really interesting was how 
low Britain is on the use <laughs> yeah. of automation. Yeah. And as somebody, oh, in the conscious capitalism talk, automation came up. One of the questions was, how can we think more carefully and creatively about coming up with these more complex solutions when we don't have time because we're doing work? And I think the bit that everyone is underestimating and overlooking when it comes to automation, which I know you don't, <laughs> and possibly I don't, is this thing that like having a really good little bit of software that helps the computers do the things that the computers are good at mm -hmm. saves a lot of time and gives you more time to use your brain for things that humans are really yeah, good more at. Meaningful. Meaning, more <laughs> meaningful. More meaningful effort. Less. It's like loads of innovation in, in health and social care and all these kinds. Everyone's like looking at how can I replace the face-to-face -face communication with an iPad or a thing. It's like... Actually, let's not worry about, you know, we, people who are in need need human touch. Let's not fiddle with that. Let's go over here where everyone's adding up and counting stuff. And for the sake of a yet another report on efficiency, or a, copy let's get the pasting yeah, is some people's job all day. Literally copy pasting. Let's replace all the copy pasting jobs with automation so that the humans can sit there and hold somebody's hand and talk yeah. them through a difficult moment. That's what it and should I be. Think, so, so I think this the, the fact that the UK is so behind on automation is actually quite terrible. Terrifying. But I saw Tim Cook talking about uh, just how China is so much further ahead in automation than everywhere else. And actually, like, to find a good tooling engineer in the US is pretty almost impossible. Like, whereas that's a whole profession and a widely, like, they have all these, and this is a slightly different subject, but, like, actually that, that automation skill is pretty, you know, China's doing it really well, those places. But, but uh, we're not. We haven't got it in the UK and the US doesn't have it either. It's not automation, apparently. <laughs> well, actually, it's cheaper. That's yeah, the point you were making. It's cheaper humans. to yeah. use humans and pay them badly and treat them badly yeah. than it is to invest in automation. And that is a problem of a problem. the system, of the yeah. state, of the priorities of the, you yeah. know, the government. And, and I think the uh, people who vote as well. One of the phrases he used was bogus democracy. It's a democracy where not everyone's represented mm. and we're not, you know, they're not engaging uh, what was he what do you call him Gary Meek from Wales <laughs> yeah he's like he's just just wants to smash it up yeah. you know and create he wants to he wants a revolution thing that was perhaps missing from everybody else's only Andrew Sims had it was this fiery urgency yeah like he had this the, the UN report has come out we've got 12 years five by some estimates come on you like the, everything the way he was talking his delivery everything was just quick fire let's fucking sort this out rather than let's talk about how nice we are but I did think that was a good point. Like we, 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 it's hard to care about the future because the present does have a nasty habit of grinding on. We're always just yeah. dealing with today. And if it's too big, if it's too different, if it's too much of a catastrophe, we've got no way of thinking about it. And we also know from experience that stuff doesn't really change that much. No. 
um, in our present day lives, and uh, which is something that the guy that I met, someone I liked that had voted Leave, said, like, oh, it's not really going to change, though. Like, you know, what's actually happened? I'm like, well, you know, even with all of this catastrophizing and here's the apocalypse, it's like it, uh, people love an apocalypse story. And like, it's there's the flip side of banging on about 12 years is it's probably going to be all right. Like, yeah. it's, it's, it does, we'll just be the present still. And we're, we're always kind of scared of something. He used this example of Green GB Week, that there's the, you know, first ever Green GB Week. And uh, he talked about how that was the week that we signed off fracking, yeah. that we uh, gave H, did something with HS2, gave the go ahead on the third runway, blah, blah. He gave specific examples of all these not green things that happened that week. Now, being as I'm somebody who signed a petition that says, you know, demand the government declare a climate emergency, end fossil fuel use and build a community resilience. I signed that petition. I've got my response. The government has responded. It says climate change is one of the most urgent things that we are fully committed to. I'm not going to read it all out, but it's at home, that first annual Green GB Week. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've heard about your Green GB Week and it's not that green. So it's kind of a PR exercise instead of real action. Yeah, and so many things end up being this way and this is the this is the sort of where the cynicism kicks in with all of this meaning stuff is like okay but we had that today everyone's everyone's a bit sick of talking yeah 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 and, yeah, and it's, this is all a lot of talking and our podcast is a lot of talking and and it's sort of like okay but when when do we do something when do we commit to something and but i think the the conference itself does give practical example. Every talk was a case study yeah, or a no, practical practical example. Here's what we did. Here's how we did it. Um, here's some models we use. Here's some tools we use. Here's some things that worked. Here's some things that don't. They were quite, they were in that sense, they were practical. Very few people, if any, stood up. I don't think anyone I listened to just talked about something vacuous like a theory on something. And that's cool, full stop. And now there's a, and now what? Well, for the attendees, we we kind of want to make sure we do something. The person that I want to make, well, certainly email and get in touch with after seeing her talk was Amy Whitaker who was talking about business and art. She coaches artists in business. And the way she described what art is, is it's creating something that needs to change the world in order to accommodate it. So moving moving reality from point A to point B such that this thing can now exist. Wow. And also she talked about this joke, this artist that released a tin of shit, which <laughs> she sold for the same price of, as gold. Well, so you want to be an artist, but also you're a citizen and also a business person and how those, so obviously it was a Venn diagram. And then just the difference between art and design being, you know, art is asking a question, it's messy to answer. So, and whereas design is more about optimising a solution. And, um, yeah, just kind of gave some interesting stuff about process. Like, something I don't really know the answer to is what's the question you're trying to answer? How much studio time are you going to give this? And, you know, how long are you going to give yourself to answer this question? So it's something I've, I'm going to try and have a think about. Can I be the person asking the question and you answer that you come up with the art? I quite like Zayton guy at the end. Oh, yeah. The Palestinian olive oil 
story. Well, he was from East London. He'd gone over to Palestine to try and uh, solve all the problems and uh, <laughs> bottle olive oil. And they were all like, who are you? What? And then he kept trying. And then and then he's done it. Yeah. He's come up with something. He's done it well. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, he was impressive. Continually thinking that they yeah, couldn't yeah. do it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, being quite comfortable talking about all the points of despair. Yeah. The thing that it made me think is that, A, I don't do enough. <laughs> And maybe that's, you know, we were talking about like, how to make an interesting podcast versus having a conversation. And it's like, maybe for me, part of com- coming to the end of a day like that is it actually, yes, it's inspiring stories, but it's also quite, there is a low point of there is so much to be done. Am I doing enough? Should I be doing more? What can I do? All those kind of things that just make it a bit of like a... <sighs> Yeah, no, I mean, I started that low point early on in the day. And I was saying yesterday, I've, I've, I've got kind of meaning fatigue at the moment, talking about meaning, because I just kind of did a whole exercise in this searching for meaning, seeing what people value. And then yesterday, even I met someone about here's a possibly meaningful, well, the day before, sorry, like I was meeting some students about a whole thing. And I've just got like, my brain is already too full of possibilities. And it was just, I was just tired. It is absolutely exhausting thinking about this stuff. The emotions aren't particularly positive when you feel like there's so much wrong with the world and there's, you just want to do one thing. And my brain at the moment is just going, I'm just going to pick the smallest thing that I seem to be enjoying doing right now. Meaning to me this week is, can I make my phone connect to my modular synth? <laughs> And then it's like, okay, well, maybe I can do that. Maybe that can be a product, but a repairable product. I don't know. Like, yeah, you do need a little bit of a grace period to let the bigger ideas sort of, you know, just to think it through. But yeah, certainly, I think we're both at very much a point where it's like, here is an infinite sea of possibilities. Here is a depressingly diverse range of things that need to be solved. Yeah. What what are we gonna? What am I gonna do? How's my life gonna matter in all this? Well, one of the um, questions that somebody asked in the session that I was in yesterday, he he talked about the fact that the purpose and the culture has to be coming from the leadership. So one of the questions was that if the purpose that the leader has identified is very much around environmentalism, and then your personal thing that you feel most passionate about is equality and feminism. Mm. The question was, how do you persuade the leadership to align their purpose? How do you reconcile that? This woman asked, what if I really care about equality and the leader really cares about the environment and they've geared the company towards the environment? And his answer was, perhaps you should go and find a different company to work for. (laughs) It's like, you know, if you can't be the person that comes up with the Fairphone idea or can't be the person that comes up with the Palestinian olive oil or you don't feel driven enough, then find somebody who is, who has come up with a thing and then go and work for them instead of working for somebody, you know, make those... Make those active choices is the sort of... Vote with your feet, yeah. at least. No, yeah, like you've got to find... But there was another talk about how it... Someone was saying, like, it doesn't really come from the leaders. Like, the leaders can... Like, if you ask someone what meaning their job has to them, it's very rarely, oh, well, the leader gave this yeah, yeah. really inspiring thing. It's, it tends to come from the day to day. It was more that it, it was not that it was going to come from the leader, but the leader sets... You know, if, you, if you're Patagonia and you want to set a company that is an environmental company disguised as a clothing company is I think how they describe themselves, then you that's 
that direction gets set from the top for the person who yeah. comes up with the idea. But then, and then if you go and work for them, there's no point trying to turn them into a equality company masquerading as a clothing company because they've already chosen their thing. If your purposes don't match up, then. You know. Yeah, and that, and we haven't. What we haven't touched on is the meaning versus purpose conversation. And that was Mario Lips Viersma. I I never quite understood what the differentiation was supposed to be, but she did say like that purpose top down can suppress bottom up meaning, and that but that also leaders can remove obstacles to meaning. But then I th- I think that's a different sort of company to one where the founder has a very good idea of what the meaning of it all is. And to be honest, like how many companies have someone like that? I don't know. I don't think I think when she was talking about purpose versus meaning, it's more like if you're a teacher or a nurse, your job has purpose. Mm. But teaching and nursing are notoriously stressful um, and people actually don't have meaning in their day to day activity, because even though on the surface of it, you've got this big overarching purpose, you you still have to address the day to day meaning for people, Mm. make it a nice job. Apparently she quoted New Zealand, on average, people stay in teaching for five years. Right. Just nothing. She gave an example of... She said it was meaning without purpose and you end up with weird zealots. Well, have you ever met an Amway salesperson in your life? So Amway is a pretty old school pyramid sales scheme. Right. They sell cleaning products, I think. One of my mum's school friends and her husband got into this and they came to our house and did a presentation to, to try and recruit my mother. And they were like, it was like talking to born again Christians. Mm. They'd like the glazed over yeah. eye thing. They're not thinking. It was like, oh, you must come and sell Amway products because this will make the world a better place. La. And that's, I think, what changed. Because actually, <laughs> end of the day, it was a pyramid scheme selling cleaning products. It was not going to make America great again, it's, was the example. Uh, to save America by selling Amway. And that's the thing. It's like you get this kind of, we must all do this because it's going to be... And it, just because people have got behind it and can be brainwashed into getting behind it doesn't mean it actually... Well, and people have such a need for meaning that they, whatever they're doing, they can find a way if given the opportunity to attach some meaning to some real nonsense. But this is what we were talking about the other day about, like, you know, the alt-right gang and the, and the you know, the rise of fascism and the chanting and all this kind of stuff. It's like being like you've got a purpose. Yeah. When actually it, it, it's not really a... It has no meaning. Your purpose has no meaning. <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to connect that to the alt-right. Because um, they have a... I mean, it certainly has some meaning. And I think their purpose is just to burn everything, as far as I can tell. <laughs> burn it down, crazy. break it, smash it up. Did you hear those people got... They called their child Adolf. Oh, my God. They got, they've got arrested. They've got sent to prison for hate speech. I think it's the United Kingdom. Oh, OK. Of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. Well, I thought the the left believed in free speech. Well, yes. Yeah, no, that's the uh, the, <laughs> the 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 disingenuous cry of the alt right nationalist person. So Doodoo Starts Whole Foods is a vegan, but they are a grocery store, so they sell meat. And one day they are being picketed by Peter, 
not Peter the... P-E-T-A. Animal rights people are protesting. And so he walks over, finds the leader of the protest and says, let's have lunch and have a chat. Let's find, let's find a way that's acceptable to everybody. So what the Whole Foods guy working with, and they were, he had a big thing about getting all the stakeholders around the table and everybody's a stakeholder. You know, the, the farmers, the customers, and they're all equal stakeholders. The shareholders are stakeholders, but only one stakeholder. And he uh, got them around the table and came up with like a, a transition scale. So if if at the bottom level you get cheaper meat and you're buying meat that is, I don't know, they, they've been fed organic food. And then the second level up is that, so it goes up and up to, to attaining sort of true pe- veganism. True ve- <laughs> well, you know, perfectly well-loved animals that have lived a perfect life. But the consumer can make a conscious decision. I'd say just let's do the forest green rovers thing and make everyone just be a vegan. It's fine. Have you had the, those corn sausages are very good. Just make it, force it on everyone. They get used to it. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want I, I, yeah, But what I'm trying to get to the bottom of is you accept, you know, how much of the world can't you change? And just seeing that forest green found that they could change something that you wouldn't really have expected anyone to attempt to change and were successful in that. I just believe that sometimes you've got to take a hard line to make a difference. And people, because people can't really adapt to a soft line. No. Right? Like a pl- the plane stopping entirely makes people adapt. The plane stopping a little bit doesn't really force anyone to change any habits or behaviours. The thing that I have always liked about the Fairphone model is that from the outset it has never ever claimed to be perfect. So the more so maybe it's the more complex a business is, the more moving parts it has, the harder it is to make a sort of hardline change. Yeah, that was meaning. That was, well, I mean, I think that's, I think we've still got more to talk about with meaning, but next episode, still not quite sure if it's going to be more meaning or if it's going to be slightly different because next episode is potentially season two as well. Oh, yeah. So thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, go to grandpodcast.com. Uh, uh, where can people find you? At Ivanka on Twitter. Mm. You can find me at michaelforestmusic.com. I did all the music. I'm just saying this every week because my aunt didn't know I did all the music. I wasn't sure. So I'm like, well, yeah, I did all that music you're hearing. I made it all from scratch. But anyway, what else can people find and do? um, People can write us reviews, tell their friends, subscribe, share, you know, that sort of stuff. Mm. Somebody asked me this morning if I was a social media professional (laughs) (laughs) because I suggested that I use Twitter. Are you a social media professional? No, but I can tell you that if people share things on Twitter, we get more downloads. Ah. <laughs> it's crazy. Well, I started. A, I started this morning. Started a new thing on Twitter, which is hashtag conclusions. I thought I could start just distilling some of the conclusions we came to on different episodes, and then you can sort of. I'll link to the episode. And we can both do them, but it'll be linked back to the episode that we had it in, and you can hear the context and hear, you know, how we got to there. 
So there you go, a bit of social media. Good, 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 um, good. And yeah, so thanks for listening. Yes, thank you very and much we'll for listening. See you next time. Bye. 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 Bye.